Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city of Bethany, where he spent the night. Okay. This this passage right here. What we see is the cleansing of the temple. Now, I mean, technically, I guess, really, the cleansing of the temple is in verse 12 and 13. That's where you really find out that uh, that Jesus is cleansing out the temple. So there we kind of see this wrath. We see this might being displayed in, in a very um, kind of unusual way. And, and if you've ever seen a movie that portrays this or if you've ever kind of tried to envision it yourself, um, you know, we might have different ideas as to what this would have looked like. And many times in the movies, you know, Jesus might look like he's really uh, upset, which, I mean, obviously he was, and he's driving these people out. In fact, whenever you, you look, we're not going to turn there, but if you look at John 2, uh, there's uh, an occasion there that John tells us about where Jesus is driving them out of the temple. And there, the way John records it is that Jesus made a whip, like he took this time and he made this whip and everything. So it's it's kind of kind of interesting, some of the details that we get in here. But in this passage, in Matthew's gospel, we see that he enters into the temple courts and he sees people doing the things that ought not to be done in the temple. Uh, th this shouldn't have been taking place right there. And he actually quotes in verse 13 uh, from kind of two different passages, which are big judgment passages. Um, but uh, we're not going to dive into some of those details either. Just kind of notice there's a lot of, of wrathful statements, a lot of judgment that Jesus is pronouncing whenever he goes into the temple and he cleanses it. That's the might of Jesus. But now I also want us to notice the meekness that is displayed in this passage. You notice what verses 14 through 17 talk about. Uh, I guess basically just verses 14 through 16. How the blind and the lame, they, they came to him and he healed them. And also what we find out uh, about if you just kind of keep looking a little bit later in verse 15, we see that children are approaching him. You know, they're shouting in the course, you know. So Jesus is able to be the type of person that he acts in extreme ways. I'll just call it like that. I hope that you understand what I mean by that, that he acts in extreme ways about cleansing the temple. I mean, he's driving people out of the temple. That's pretty extreme. But yet at the same time, children are still able to come up to him and they're still able to be praising him and recognizing what, what's going on. So he's not you know maybe these these videos and all they portray him as just like some crazy person that you wouldn't even want to get near because you don't know what he's about to do that's actually not how it was the, the way that jesus was was still approachable shortly thereafter so he was a way to to be angry he, he had a way to be angry and to show his might but not sin and to not go crazy with this you know as what we might think and he says, all of these things, you know, are, are being fulfilled and these things need to take place. But he's able to display both meek uh, and might in this passage, even though a lot of times this passage is used as just showing that that uh, that Jesus um, was also displaying that wrath of God. Well, he's also displaying the love of God. He's also displaying this uh, the, the gentleness uh, of the, the gentle nature of God. 
keep in mind, once again, I'm reminding you, this is balanced beliefs that we're looking at. So I am purposefully contrasting these two and getting us to notice that this is our God. He is a big God. And this is this is Jesus that we're looking at here. They're the same as our Heavenly Father, that he does those same types of things uh, within his own life. So this first passage here is whenever the temple is cleansed. There's another passage uh, that I want us to notice, though, that is mentioned oftentimes of of uh, when people start talking about Jesus, uh, maybe using violence, you know, that that was um, mentioned here with the temple courts um, about, you know, oftentimes people kind of connect this with violence. There's another occasion where Jesus actually tells his disciples to buy swords. Why is he doing that? Let's take a look. So in Luke chapter 22, verses 35 through 38, this is, is what we get Jesus telling his own disciples right here. Now, I remind you, of course, you know, Luke 22, this is toward the very end of of uh, Jesus' ministry, end of the gospel. Um, things are kind of starting to, well, shortly thereafter, he's going to be arrested. So he's having this kind of final talk with his disciples, and this is what he says. Luke 22, verses 35 to 38. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, uh, it is written, he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, see, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, he replied. So this passage, what are we actually seeing right here? Because people oftentimes point out, look, Jesus is promoting violence. He's wanting his disciples to buy swords. And that is what he says. But this is one of those occasions where, yes, we see might. We see this this uh, this force, I guess, you know, physical force that we we might see. But yet I want to remind you of a few things. Uh, if you look in verse 36, you find out that he is telling them, look, if you don't have a sword, you need to get one. And he, he's preparing them for that. But then he also tells you why he wants that done. In verse 37, it is so that these prophecies could be fulfilled. This prophecy about being numbered with the transgressors, that needs to be fulfilled in him. So in order for that to be fulfilled, they need to have swords. Okay? And they say, look, here's two swords, and then that's enough. Now, two swords, you know, among 12 people. Uh, okay, I guess you need to factor in Jesus, don't you? 13 people. That's not a whole lot of swords. You know, it's not going to go very far. So, I mean, obviously Jesus isn't saying that, oh, well, you know, we need to, to create this army and, and, you know, go by force and overthrow Rome. That, that's not what Jesus was ever saying right here. What Jesus is saying is that they need to have this sword. This prophecy needs to be fulfilled. They have two swords. Well, that's enough. What is that enough for? Now, I don't know who had those two swords. I don't know how they, they came into their midst and, and everything about that. Um, but I guess technically I do know who had one of those swords. We find out um, that uh, from, from other passages and also in a few verses uh, after this one, we find out what one of those swords was used for. But let's notice that, yes, this is kind of where Jesus is wanting his disciples to express might, to express physical force. But I'm reminding you about the meekness here, too. Let's notice the meekness. So now we're actually going to skip over to Matthew's gospel. And uh, by the way, I guess I, I'm kind of uh, maybe lumping this one in with that last one. So the whole thing that I said, two passages for each one, this one's kind of a second part of one of those passages. Uh, yeah, I know. Okay, I'm borrowing this to let us see what happens with one of those swords. So in Matthew chapter 26, we start to see here in verse 47, 
that Judas is coming, he's betraying Jesus, and then what happens whenever they are coming to arrest him? We see in verse 50 here of Matthew 26, Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that said it must happen in this way? So this passage right here, we find out what happens with one of those swords. Jesus said, look, if you don't have a sword, go buy one. And then they said, look, we got two swords. Jesus said, that's enough. One of those swords was used right here. One of those swords was used to cut off this servant of the high priest. And keep in mind uh, from the previous passage of what we looked at, the reason for that was that it was written and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. So this is all to fulfill that prophecy right there. That's why they needed the swords at that moment. So is Jesus really telling them to act out in a physical way? Not really. I don't think so. I think that what Jesus is telling them is, is he's teaching them more about this, about the kind of balance of the meekness and, and the might of our God and the meekness and the might of Jesus Christ himself. So this sword was used and it was it was used for violence. But notice how Jesus reacted. Jesus told him in verse 52, put your sword back in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. You know, maybe you know it as all who live by the sword will die by the sword. Jesus is, is teaching this lesson. He is teaching them that violence and acting out with violence like this is not the answer. And then he just kind of tells them what uh, a verse that I can't help but um, think that it inspired uh, a well-known song that we sing in verse 53 that, you know, he says, look, don't you know I could call on my father and then he'd send all these angels to help me. You know, we have this song. He could have called 10,000 angels. Well, yeah, the number's a little different. 12 legions of angels, the point's the same. Jesus could have called any number of angels to come and help him, but that wasn't the way. The way of Christ right here, right now, was to fulfill these scriptures. And one of these ways was for the swords to be there, for them to be used in this way, but for Jesus to correct that teaching, to teach us that that is not really the way of Christ, even though Jesus himself shows us that sometimes might is needed, but also meekness is there. So we see both of those kind of being balanced out in each one of these examples. But now let's kind of, let, let's change gears and let's see a couple of passages now where the love of Jesus is really emphasized or, you know, his meekness is really emphasized. To that, we turn to John's gospel. Now, John is, is well known for talking about the love of God. Okay, there's, there's no doubt about that. And this occasion right here is oftentimes used to say that, you know, look, Jesus is all about forgiveness, which he was to an extent, but we need to also uh, recognize that there is a bit of, of might here and that there is a price to pay for this forgiveness. Let's look at that together. John chapter eight, verses one through 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again at the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. 
But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When he kept on, uh, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, "Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her." Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the oldest ones first, until only Jesus was left, with a woman still standing there. Jesus straightening up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Okay, in order for us to understand what's going on in this passage, I think it's so important for us to, to, to pay attention to some of these things that Jesus says right there. Because, yes, this passage is used as, you know, we, we oftentimes quote, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And we really see this as a passage that is beautifully displaying the love of Jesus, the love of Jesus that he has for these people. But notice a few kind of key verses right here. When you notice in verse six, we find out that the whole reason for this, it, it was a trap. They were trying to trap Jesus. But he answered with verse seven, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And that shows this meekness, that Jesus is not going to, to lash out about this woman. He is going to be very level-headed and he's going to take his time and his patience uh, with this situation. And he tells them, look, if you don't have any sin, then you cast the first stone. And they don't cast the stones. Now, I would say the reason is they know it was a trap. He knew it was a trap, and this was his way of, of kind of getting out of that and letting them realize that they're just trying to trap him. Their motives were the ones that were all messed up. But then eventually after they leave, then Jesus talks to the woman, and he says, you know, where are those people who, who condemned you? Where are they? Because that's how it had to happen, like according to the law. You know, people had to condemn you, and then, then the, the stoning would take place. But whenever they left, then... Jesus really had no reason to even condemn her, and, and he didn't have any reason to, to start the stoning process, even though he truly was without sin. But, you know, let's, let's not get into too much of that right now. But right here, he just recognizes they all left. So if they all left, he says in verse 11, then neither do I condemn you. So this is a beautiful passage that talks about this forgiveness of God, this meekness of, that's found in Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you of the last half of verse 11, that Jesus also declared, go now and leave your life of sin. This forgiveness that God has given to us, this forgiveness that Jesus Christ was involved in, it came at a cost. And this forgiveness right here of this woman, there was a cost here. And we know that cost was the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus knew that his life was going to, to be given to atone for this sin and all these other sins that are found in the world. So before we just look at this and just say, oh, well, he just, you know, flippantly just forgave everybody. No, he did not do that lightly at all. He understood the cost. He understood the cost better than, than any of us. And he was willing to pay it. And he did. He told her that she has to leave this life of sin. I'd like to think that she did. I'd like to think that Jesus made a lasting impact in her life and things changed. This is one passage that we oftentimes see this forgiveness, this love, this, this meekness of our Jesus. But we also find out this might, 
we also found out the power that's involved in this passage. One final passage will kind of kind of show us that that price that Jesus paid. Luke chapter 23, a beautiful passage that tells us about forgiveness. And yes, it shows the meekness of Jesus. It shows the the forgiveness, the love that he has. But I want you to also recognize this might that's going on. And I want you to recognize the price that was paid. Luke 23, verses 38 through 43. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And this passage is so oftentimes used because we see that Jesus forgives a man even while he is hanging on the cross. They're both hanging on crosses and Jesus forgives him. This is a beautiful passage that shows us the love, the forgiveness, the, the meekness that's found in Jesus, our Messiah. But let's also recognize he was hanging on the cross. Why was he hanging on the cross? He was literally doing that to, to save the entire world, to save us, to give us forgiveness of sins. That's why Jesus went to the cross. And this man right here, this this who we oftentimes just refer to as the thief on the cross. He had vision that even the disciples of Jesus weren't able to see at this time because they're hanging on the cross. He knows this thief. He knows he's about to die. He knows Jesus is about to die. But in verse 42, this thief still said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I don't know the story of that thief. I don't know his background. But that guy has faith in Jesus. And he still has faith that Jesus is going to come in this into this kingdom. I mean, Jesus' disciples thought it was over with at this point. But this thief on the cross, he didn't. He still had hope. He still had faith in Jesus. That's why Jesus answered in verse 43 that, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. We see this love. We see this forgiveness of Jesus. We see this meekness of Jesus. But let us never forget he utters these words while hanging on the cross. He is literally in the act of doing the very thing that will provide that forgiveness so that that statement can be true, that today that thief will be able to see Jesus in paradise that day. So all of these passages that we've looked at, yes, we've seen that Jesus is both meek and he's also mighty. If we overemphasize either one of those parts of Jesus, then we have stopped allowing him to be Jesus and we've kind of created him in, in our own image or, or the image that we want him to be like. We've got to read the Gospels and notice how our Lord and Savior is. Yes, he was mighty, but he was also meek. He loved us and he did all of these things for us. They came at a price, a very dear price. Let's make sure that we remember that price. And let's make sure that we, we live our lives for Jesus Christ and following him and learning always from his example.
Great. 